Hey, a warm welcome to you. This is day number 181, and today I feel very privileged to read to you 1 Kings 11 and 12, our ninth reading in Psalm 119, and our second reading in John 7. This is God's word which is more precious than gold. So, let's turn to 1 Kings 11. Yesterday we heard interesting glimpses of Solomon's international relations and commerce. Notably, the Queen of Sheba came to listen to Solomon's wisdom and to ask questions of him. 1 Kings 11 Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides the daughter of the king of Egypt, he married Hittite women and women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, and Sidon. He married them even though the Lord had commanded the Israelites not to intermarry with these people, because they would cause the Israelites to give their loyalty to other gods. Solomon married seven hundred princesses and also had three hundred concubines. They made him turn away from God, and by the time he was old, they had led him into the worship of foreign gods. He was not faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. He worshipped Ashtarte, the goddess of Sidon, and Molech, the disgusting god of Ammon. He sinned against the Lord and was not true to him as his father David had been. On the mountain east of Jerusalem he built a place to worship Chemosh, the disgusting god of Moab, and a place to worship Molech, the disgusting god of Ammon. He also built places of worship where all his foreign wives could burn incense and offer sacrifices to their own gods. Even though the Lord, the God of Israel, had appeared to Solomon twice and had commanded him not to worship foreign gods, Solomon did not obey the Lord, but turned away from him. So the Lord was angry with Solomon and said to him, Because you have deliberately broken your covenant with me and disobeyed my commands, I promise that I will take the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your officials. However, for the sake of your father David, I will not do this in your lifetime, but during the reign of your son. And I will not take the whole kingdom away from him. Instead, I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I have made my own. So the Lord caused Hadad of the royal family of Edom to turn against Solomon. Long before this, when David had conquered Edom, Joab, the commander of his army, had gone there to bury the dead. He and his men remained in Edom six months, and during that time they killed every male in Edom, except Hadad and some of his father's Edomite servants who escaped to Egypt. At that time Hadad was just a child. They left Midian and went to Paran, where some other men joined them. Then they traveled to Egypt and went to the king, who gave Hadad some land and a house and provided him with food. 
Hadad won the friendship of the king, and the king gave his sister-in-law, the sister of Queen Tafpanes, to Hadad in marriage. She bore him a son, Genubath, who was raised by the queen in the palace where he lived with the king's sons. When the news reached Hadad in Egypt that David had died and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to the king, Let me go back to my own country. Why? the king asked. Have I failed to give you something? Is that why you want to go back home? Just let me go, Hadad answered the king, and he went back to his country. As king of Edom, Hadad was an evil, bitter enemy of Israel. God also caused Rezon, son of Eliada, to turn against Solomon. Rezon had fled from his master, King Hadadezer of Zobah, and had become the leader of a gang of outlaws. This happened after David had defeated Hadadezer and had slaughtered his Syrian allies. Rezon and his gang went and lived in Damascus, where his followers made him king of Syria. He was an enemy of Israel during the lifetime of Solomon. Another man who turned against King Solomon was one of his officials, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, from Zereda in Ephraim. His mother was a widow named Zeruah. This is the story of the revolt. Solomon was filling in land on the east side of Jerusalem and repairing the city walls. Jeroboam was an able young man, and when Solomon noticed how hard he worked, he put him in charge of all the forced labor in the territory of the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. One day, as Jeroboam was traveling from Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him alone on the road in the open country. Ahijah took off the new robe he was wearing, tore it into twelve pieces, and said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, because the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, I'm going to take the kingdom away from Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. Solomon will keep one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be my own from the whole land of Israel. I'm going to do this because Solomon has rejected me and has worshipped foreign gods. Ashtarte, the goddess of Sidon, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of Ammon. Solomon has disobeyed me, he has done wrong, and has not kept my laws and commands as his father David did. But I will not take the whole kingdom away from Solomon, and I will keep him in power as long as he lives. This I will do for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose and who obeyed my laws and commands. I will take the kingdom away from Solomon's son and will give you ten tribes, but I will let Solomon's son keep one tribe, so that I will always have a descendant of my servant David ruling in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen as the place where I am worshipped. Jeroboam, I will make you king of Israel, and you will rule over all the territory that you want. If you obey me completely, live by my laws, and win my approval by doing what I command, 
as my servant David did, I will always be with you. I will make you king of Israel, and I will make sure that your descendants rule after you, just as I have done for David. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, but not for all time. And so Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he escaped to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon's death. Everything else that Solomon did, his career and his wisdom, are all recorded in the history of Solomon. He was king in Jerusalem over all Israel for forty years. He died and was buried in David's city, and his son Rehoboam succeeded him as king. 1 Kings 12 Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all the people of northern Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had gone to Egypt to escape from King Solomon, heard this news, he returned from Egypt. The people of the northern tribes sent for him, and then they all went together to Rehoboam and said to him, your father, Solomon, treated us harshly and placed heavy burdens on us. If you will make these burdens lighter and make life easier for us, we will be your loyal subjects. He replied, Come back in three days and I will give you my answer. So they left. King Rehoboam consulted the older men who had served as his father, Solomon's advisors. He asked, what answer do you advise me to give to these people? They replied, If you want to serve this people well, give a favorable answer to their request, and they will always serve you loyally. But he ignored the advice of the older men and went instead to the young men who had grown up with him and who were now his advisors. What do you advise me to do? What shall I say to the people who are asking me to make their burdens lighter? They replied, This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Tell them, My father placed heavy burdens on you. I will make them even heavier. He beat you with whips. I'll flog you with bullwhips. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to King Rehoboam as he had instructed them. The king ignored the advice of the older men and spoke harshly to the people as the younger men had advised. He said, My father placed heavy burdens on you. I will make them even heavier. He beat you with whips. I'll flog you with bullwhips. It was the will of the Lord to bring about what he had spoken to Jeroboam son of Nebat through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. This is why the king did not pay attention to the people. When the people saw that the king would not listen to them, they shouted, Down with David and his family! What have they ever done for us? People of Israel, let's go home! Let Rehoboam look out for himself! So the people of Israel rebelled, leaving Rehoboam as king only of the people who lived in the territory of Judah. 
Then King Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor, to go to the Israelites, but they stoned him to death. At this, Rehoboam hurriedly got in his chariot and escaped to Jerusalem. Ever since that time, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel have been in rebellion against the dynasty of David. When the people of Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned from Egypt, they invited him to a meeting of the people and made him king of Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to David's descendants. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he called together 180,000 of the best soldiers from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. He intended to go to war and to restore his control over the northern tribes of Israel. But God told the prophet Shemaiah to give this message to Rehoboam and to all the people of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Do not attack your own relatives, the people of Israel. Go home, all of you. What has happened is my will. They all obeyed the Lord's command and went back home. King Jeroboam of Israel fortified the town of Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there for a while. Then he left and fortified the town of Penuel. He said to himself, As things are now, if my people go to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices to the Lord in the temple there, they will transfer their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah and will kill me. After thinking it over, he made two bull calves of gold and said to his people, You have been going long enough to Jerusalem to worship. People of Israel, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed one of the gold bull calves in Bethel and the other in Dan. And so the people sinned, going to worship in Bethel and Dan. Jeroboam also built places of worship on hilltops, and he chose priests from families who were not of the tribe of Levi. Jeroboam also instituted a religious festival on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the festival in Judah. On the altar in Bethel he offered sacrifices to the gold bull calves he had made, and he placed there in Bethel the priests serving at the places of worship he had built. And on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, the day that he himself had set, he went to Bethel and offered a sacrifice on the altar in celebration of the festival he had instituted for the people of Israel. And now let's turn to Psalm 119, where we will start reading at verse 129. How precious the word of God is to us! A favorite verse from yesterday's portion is verse 127. I love your commands more than gold, more than the finest gold. Psalm 119, starting at verse 129. Your teachings are wonderful. I obey them with all my heart. The explanation of your teachings gives light and brings wisdom to the ignorant. 
In my desire for your commands, I pant with open mouth. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you do on all those who love you. As you have promised, keep me from falling. Don't let me be overcome by evil. Save me from those who oppress me, so that I may obey your commands. Bless me with your presence, and teach me your laws. My tears pour down like a river, because people do not obey your law. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are just. The rules that you have given are completely fair and right. My anger burns in me like a fire because my enemies disregard your commands. How certain your promise is, how I love it. I am unimportant and despised, but I do not neglect your teachings. Your righteousness will last forever, and your law is always true. I am filled with trouble and anxiety, but your commandments bring me joy. Your instructions are always just. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Let's return to John 7. We left the story in this chapter with Jesus already having some hot exchanges with the people at the Festival of Shelters. Today we will hear Jesus shouting to the crowds at the festival, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. It is likely that Jesus waited for the climax of the festival to give that message when water was poured out before the Lord. John 7, starting at verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem said, Isn't this the man the authorities are trying to kill? Look, he's talking in public, and they say nothing against him. Can it be that they really know that he is the Messiah? But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from, and we all know where this man comes from. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said in a loud voice, Do you really know me and know where I am from? I have not come on my own authority. He who sent me, however, is truthful. You do not know him. But I know him, because I come from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many in the crowd believed in him, and said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more miracles than this man has? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about Jesus, so they and the chief priests sent some guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I shall go away to him who sent me. 
You will look for me, but you will not find me, because you cannot go where I will be. The Jewish authorities said among themselves, Where is he about to go so that we shall not find him? Will he go to the Greek cities where our people live and teach the Greeks? He says that we will look for him but will not find him, and that we cannot go where he will be. What does he mean? On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Whoever is thirsty should come to me, and whoever believes in me should drink. As the scripture says, streams of living water will pour out from his side. Jesus said this about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were going to receive. At that time the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not been raised to glory. Some of the people in the crowd heard him say this and said, This man is really the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. But others said, The Messiah will not come from Galilee. The scripture says that the Messiah will be a descendant of King David and will be born in Bethlehem, the town where David lived. So there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. When the guards went back, the chief priests and the Pharisees asked them, Why did you not bring him? The guards answered, Nobody has ever talked the way this man does. The Pharisees replied, Did he fool you too? Have you ever known one of the authorities or one Pharisee to believe in him? This crowd does not know the law of Moses, so they are under God's curse. One of the Pharisees there was Nicodemus, the man who had gone to see Jesus before. He said to the others, According to our law, we cannot condemn people before hearing them and finding out what they have done. Well, they answered, are you also from Galilee? Study the scriptures and you will learn that no prophet ever comes from Galilee. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we worship you, and we could say along with the guards, nobody ever talked the way this man does. We thank you that you extend an offer that you graciously give to everyone, to whoever is thirsty. And who is there who could rightly say that they have never been spiritually thirsty? Lord, you planted that thirst in every human, and you are the only one who can satisfy it. That's why all humans everywhere and from all times have shown their spiritual thirst through all the ways they have searched for you. But now that you have revealed yourself, no one should seek again in vain in all those wrong places. You generously offer that life-giving water without cost. And we don't receive just eternal life, but the Holy Spirit living within us. 
This gift has now been given to us, and the condition you gave in this passage is to believe in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, please let the water of the Spirit bubble up, overflow within us, and spill out from us today. Hey, hello there on this day number 180 in our reading calendar. May God's word be a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. And the passages that will help us toward that vision are 1 Kings 9 and 10, our eighth reading in Psalm 109, and our first reading in John 7. So, turning to 1 Kings 9, the temple was completed, and yesterday we heard Solomon's very wise prayer, asking God to fulfill his promises and help the people of Israel. In his prayer, he recognized that the people of Israel would not be able to remain faithful to the Lord, but that they would sin and then need to repent. Solomon asked God to forgive and to hear the people in situations of sin and desperation because of the Lord's punishment upon them. 1 Kings 9 After King Solomon had finished building the temple and the palace and everything else he wanted to build, the Lord appeared to him again as he had in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer. I consecrate this temple which you have built as the place where I shall be worshipped forever. I will watch over it and protect it for all time. If you will serve me in honesty and integrity as your father David did, and if you obey my laws and do everything I have commanded you, I will keep the promise I made to your father David when I told him that Israel would always be ruled by his descendants. But if you or your descendants stop following me, disobey the laws and commands I have given you, and worship other gods, then I will remove my people Israel from the land that I have given them. I will also abandon this temple which I have consecrated as the place where I am to be worshipped. People everywhere will ridicule Israel and treat her with contempt. This temple will become a pile of ruins, and everyone who passes by will be shocked and amazed. Why did the Lord do this to this land and this temple, they will ask. People will answer, it is because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt. They gave their allegiance to other gods and worshipped them. That is why the Lord has brought this disaster on them. It took Solomon twenty years to build the temple and his palace. King Hiram of Tyre had provided him with all the cedar and pine and with all the gold he wanted for his work. After it was finished, King Solomon gave Hiram twenty towns in the region of Galilee. Hiram went to see them, and he did not like them. So he said to Solomon, 
So these, my brother, are the towns you have given me. For this reason, the area is still called Kabul. Hiram had sent Solomon almost five tons of gold. Footnote. The name Kabul sounds like Kebal, the Hebrew word for worthless. King Solomon used forced labor to build the temple and the palace, to fill in land on the east side of the city, and to build the city wall. He also used it to rebuild the cities of Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. The king of Egypt had attacked Gezer and captured it, killing its inhabitants and setting fire to the city. Then he gave it as a wedding present to his daughter when she married Solomon, and Solomon rebuilt it. Using his forced labor, Solomon also rebuilt Lower Beth Horon, Baalath, Tamar in the wilderness of Judah, the cities where his supplies were kept, the cities for his horses and chariots, and everything else he wanted to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and elsewhere in his kingdom. For his forced labor, Solomon used the descendants of the people of Canaan, whom the Israelites had not killed when they took possession of their land. These included Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, whose descendants continue to be slaves down to the present time. Solomon did not make slaves of Israelites. They served as his soldiers, officers, commanders, chariot captains, and cavalry. There were 550 officials in charge of the forced labor working on Solomon's various building projects. Solomon filled in the land on the east side of the city after his wife, the daughter of the king of Egypt, had moved from David's city to the palace Solomon built for her. Three times a year Solomon offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built to the Lord. He also burned incense to the Lord, and so he finished building the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shore of the Gulf of Aqaba, in the land of Edom. King Hiram sent some experienced sailors from his fleet to serve with Solomon's men. They sailed to the land of Ophir and brought back to Solomon about sixteen tons of gold. 1 Kings 10 the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, and she traveled to Jerusalem to test him with difficult questions. She brought with her a large group of attendants, as well as camels loaded with spices, jewels, and a large amount of gold. When she and Solomon met, she asked him all the questions she could think of. He answered them all. There was nothing too difficult for him to explain. The queen of Sheba heard Solomon's wisdom and saw the palace he had built. She saw the food that was served at his table, the living quarters for his officials, the organization of his palace staff and the uniforms they wore, the servants who waited on him at feasts and the sacrifices he offered in the temple, it left her breathless and amazed. She said to King Solomon, 
What I heard in my own country about you and your wisdom is true, but I couldn't believe it until I had come and seen it all for myself. But I didn't hear even half of it. Your wisdom and wealth are much greater than what I was told. How fortunate are your wives! How fortunate are your servants, who are always in your presence and are privileged to hear your wise sayings! Praise the Lord your God! He has shown how pleased he is with you by making you king of Israel. Because his love for Israel is eternal, he has made you their king, so that you can maintain law and justice. She presented to King Solomon the gifts she had brought, almost five tons of gold and a very large amount of spices and jewels. The amount of spices she gave him was by far the greatest that he had ever received at any time. Hiram's fleet, which had brought gold from Ophir, also brought from there a large amount of juniper wood and jewels. Solomon used the wood to build railings in the temple and the palace, and also to make harps and lyres for the musicians. It was the finest juniper wood ever imported into Israel. None like it has ever been seen again. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba everything she asked for, besides all the other customary gifts that he had generously given her. Then she and her attendants returned to the land of Sheba. Every year King Solomon received over twenty-five tons of gold, in addition to the taxes paid by merchants, the profits from trade, the tribute paid by the Arabian kings and the governors of the Israelite districts. Solomon made two hundred large shields and had each one overlaid with almost fifteen pounds of gold. He also made three hundred smaller shields, overlaying each one of them with nearly four pounds of gold. He had all these shields placed in the hall of the forest of Lebanon. He also had a large throne made. Part of it was covered with ivory, and the rest of it was covered with the finest gold. The throne had six steps leading up to it, with the figure of a lion at each end of every step, a total of twelve lions. At the back of the throne was the figure of a bull's head, and beside each of the two armrests was the figure of a lion. No throne like this had ever existed in any other kingdom. All of Solomon's drinking cups were made of gold, and all the utensils in the hall of the forest of Lebanon were made of pure gold. No silver was used, since it was not considered valuable in Solomon's day. He had a fleet of ocean-going ships sailing with Hiram's fleet. Every three years his fleet would return, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. King Solomon was richer and wiser than any other king, and the whole world wanted to come and listen to the wisdom that God had given him. Everyone who came brought him a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. This continued year after year. 
Solomon built up a force of 1,400 chariots and 12,000 cavalry horses. Some of them he kept in Jerusalem, and the rest he stationed in various other cities. During his reign, silver was as common in Jerusalem as stone, and cedar was as plentiful as ordinary sycamore in the foothills of Judah. The king's agents controlled the export of horses from Musri and Kilikia, and the export of chariots from Egypt. They supplied the Hittite and Syrian kings with horses and chariots, selling chariots for 600 pieces of silver each and horses for 150 each. And now let's turn to Psalm 119, where we'll start with verse 113. Yesterday we read one of the frequently memorized verses from this psalm. Verse 105, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, starting at verse 113. I hate those who are not completely loyal to you, but I love your law. You are my defender and protector. I put my hope in your promise. Go away from me, you sinful people. I will obey the commands of my God. Oh, give me strength as you promised, and I shall live. Don't let me be disappointed in my hope. Hold me, and I will be safe, and I will always pay attention to your commands. You reject everyone who disobeys your laws. Their deceitful schemes are useless. You treat all the wicked like rubbish, and so I love your instructions. Because of you I am afraid. I am filled with fear because of your judgments. I have done what is right and good. Please don't abandon me to my enemies. Promise that you will help your servant. Don't let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes are tired from watching for your saving help, for the deliverance you promised. Please treat me according to your constant love and teach me your commands. I am your servant. Give me understanding so that I may know your teachings. Lord, it's time for you to act, because people are disobeying your law. I love your commands more than gold, more than the finest gold. And so I follow all your instructions. I hate all wrong ways. Let's turn now to John 7. I hope you noticed the deep meaning in John 6.56 and the application which Jesus' listeners could not understand 
that is, to the Lord's Supper, and in fact, to the spiritual realities that the Lord's Supper point to. Jesus says, Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains joined or united to me, and I remain joined to him. This is the same meaning of in him that we will see in John chapter 15. And Jesus also said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. But anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And Peter made one of his best and most quotable statements when Jesus asked the twelve if they would also leave. Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Our first reading in John 7. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee. He did not want to travel in Judea because the Jewish authorities were wanting to kill him. The time for the festival of shelters was near, so Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave this place and go to Judea, so that your followers will see the things that you are doing. People don't hide what they are doing if they want to be well known. Since you are doing these things, let the whole world know about you. Not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, The right time for me has not yet come. Any time is right for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I keep telling it that its ways are bad. You go on to the festival. I'm not going to this festival, because the right time has not come for me. He said this and then stayed on in Galilee. After his brothers had gone to the festival, Jesus also went. However, he did not go openly, but secretly. The Jewish authorities were looking for him at the festival. Where is he? they asked. There was much whispering about him in the crowd. Some people said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he fools the people. But no one talked about him openly because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. The festival was nearly half over when Jesus went to the temple and began teaching. The Jewish authorities were greatly surprised and said, How does this man know so much when he has never been to school? Jesus answered, What I teach is not my own teaching but it comes from God who sent me. Whoever is willing to do what God wants will know whether what I teach comes from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Those who speak on their own authority are trying to gain glory for themselves, but he who wants glory for the one who sent him is honest and there is nothing false in him. Moses gave you the law, didn't he? But not one of you obeys the law. Why are you trying to kill me? 
The crowd answered, You have a demon in you. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus answered, I performed one miracle and you were all surprised. Moses ordered you to circumcise your sons, although it was not Moses but your ancestors who started it, and so you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. If a boy is circumcised on the Sabbath so that Moses' law is not broken, why are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging by external standards and judge by true standards. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are so amazing and your teachings pierce us to our hearts. You see right through us. So we ask you, in your eyes are we more like your unbelieving brothers or the proud religious leaders or like your humble followers? Do we praise you for the successes of our brothers and sisters or do we become jealous? Do we feel like we are in competition? Teach us and all our Christian leaders to discern the difference between seeking our own glory and seeking only your glory. Teach us to get our self-centered wishes out of our prayers and our plans for success. Help us not to judge by appearances and by how this world measures. Renew our minds. And may your word be the lamp and light by which we measure when we think of ourselves and how we might look to others and what we think about the things we do. Hi there. This is day number 198, and the good news is that God's Word plus the Holy Spirit is an unbeatable combination. Today we read 2 Kings 23, Psalm 134, and the last few verses of John 15 plus the first part of John 16. May the Lord bless you real good today. Now, turning to 2 Kings 23, Hilkiah, or Hilkiah, found the book of the law in the temple while repairs were being carried out as ordered by King Josiah. When Josiah heard the book of the law, he instituted reforms, and as we will hear today, God again is glorified in fulfilling a prophecy we heard in 1 Kings. 2 Kings 23 King Josiah summoned all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, and together they went to the temple, accompanied by the priests and the prophets and all the rest of the people, rich and poor alike. Before them all the king read aloud the whole book of the covenant which had been found in the temple. He stood by the royal column and made a covenant with the Lord to obey him 
to keep his laws and commands with all his heart and soul, and to put into practice the demands attached to the covenant, as written in the book. And all the people promised to keep the covenant. Then Josiah ordered the high priest Hilkiah, his assistant priests, and the guards on duty at the entrance to the temple, to bring out of the temple all the objects used in the worship of Baal, of the goddess Asherah, and of the stars. The king burned all these objects outside the city near Kidron Valley, and then had the ashes taken to Bethel. He removed from office the priests that the kings of Judah had ordained to offer sacrifices on the pagan altars in the cities of Judah and in places near Jerusalem. All the priests who offered sacrifices to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, the planets, and the stars. He removed from the temple the symbol of the goddess Asherah, took it out of the city to Kidron Valley, burned it, pounded its ashes to dust, and scattered it over the public burying ground. He destroyed the living quarters in the temple occupied by the temple prostitutes. It was there that the women wove robes used in the worship of Asherah. He brought to Jerusalem the priests who were in the cities of Judah, and throughout the whole country he desecrated the altars where they had offered sacrifices, he also tore down the altars dedicated to the goat demons near the gate built by Joshua, the city governor, which was to the left of the main gate as one enters the city. Those priests were not allowed to serve in the temple, but they could eat the unleavened bread provided for their fellow priests. King Josiah also desecrated Topheth, the pagan place of worship in Hinnom Valley, so that no one could sacrifice his son or daughter as a burnt offering to the god Molech. He also removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the worship of the sun, and he burned the chariots used in this worship. These were kept in the temple courtyard near the gate and not far from the living quarters of Nathan Melech, a high official. The altars which the kings of Judah had built on the palace roof above King Ahaz's quarters, King Josiah tore down along with the altars put up by King Manasseh in the two courtyards of the temple. He smashed the altars to bits and threw them into Kidron Valley. Josiah desecrated the altars that King Solomon had built east of Jerusalem, south of the Mount of Olives, for the worship of disgusting idols, Ashtarte, the goddess of Sidon, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of Ammon. King Josiah broke the stone pillars to pieces, cut down the symbols of the goddess Asherah, and the ground where they had stood he covered with human bones. Josiah also tore down the place of worship in Bethel, which had been built by King Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who led Israel into sin. Josiah pulled down the altar, broke its stones into pieces, and pounded them to dust. He also burned the image of Asherah. Then Josiah looked around and saw some tombs there on the hill. He had the bones taken out of them and burned on the altar. 
In this way he desecrated the altar, doing what the prophet had predicted long before during the festival, as King Jeroboam was standing by the altar. King Josiah looked around and saw the tomb of the prophet who had made this prediction. Whose tomb is that? he asked. The people of Bethel answered, It is the tomb of the prophet who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done to this altar. Leave it as it is, Josiah ordered. His bones are not to be moved. So his bones were not moved, neither were those of the prophet who had come from Samaria. In every city of Israel, King Josiah tore down all the pagan places of worship which had been built by the kings of Israel, who thereby aroused the Lord's anger. He did to all those altars what he had done in Bethel. He killed all the pagan priests on the altars where they served, and he burned human bones on every altar. Then he returned to Jerusalem. King Josiah ordered the people to celebrate the Passover in honor of the Lord their God, as written in the Book of the Covenant. No Passover like this one had ever been celebrated by any of the kings of Israel or of Judah since the time when judges ruled the nation. Now at last, in the eighteenth year of the reign of Josiah, the Passover was celebrated in Jerusalem. In order to enforce the laws written in the book that the high priest Hilkiah had found in the temple, King Josiah removed from Jerusalem and the rest of Judah all the mediums and fortune-tellers, and all the household gods, idols, and all other pagan objects of worship. There had never been a king like him before, who served the Lord with all his heart, mind, and strength, obeying all the law of Moses, nor has there been a king like him since. But the Lord's fierce anger had been aroused against Judah by what King Manasseh had done, and even now it did not die down. The Lord said, I will do to Judah what I have done to Israel. I will banish the people of Judah from my sight, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and the temple, the place I said was where I should be worshipped. Everything else that King Josiah did is recorded in the history of the kings of Judah. While Josiah was king, King Necho of Egypt led an army to the Euphrates River to help the emperor of Assyria. King Josiah tried to stop the Egyptian army at Megiddo and was killed in battle. His officials placed his body in a chariot and took it back to Jerusalem, where he was buried in the royal tombs. The people of Judah chose Josiah's son, Joahaz, and anointed him as king. Joahaz was twenty-three years old when he became king of Judah, and he ruled in Jerusalem for three months. His mother was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah from the city of Libna. Following the example of his ancestors, he sinned against the Lord. His reign ended when King Necho of Egypt took him prisoner in Ribla, 
in the land of Hamath and made Judah pay 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold as tribute. King Necho made Josiah's son Eliakim king of Judah as successor to Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. Joahaz was taken to Egypt by King Necho, and there he died. King Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people in proportion to their wealth in order to raise the amount needed to pay the tribute demanded by the king of Egypt. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he became king of Judah, and he ruled in Jerusalem for eleven years. His mother was Zebida, the daughter of Padiah from the town of Rumah. Following the example of his ancestors, Jehoiakim sinned against the Lord. Now let's turn to Psalm 134. I would like to have been one of the Levitical temple musicians who had the duty of singing praises to God at night. This is the last of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 134 Come, praise the Lord, all his servants, all who serve in his temple at night. Raise your hands in prayer in the temple and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Let's turn to John chapter 15 verse 18 and we'll read through chapter 16 verse 15. We're still in the upper room. Let's review the last part of John 15 as we turn to chapter 16. John 15, starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, just remember that it has hated me first. If you belong to the world, then the world would love you as its own. But I chose you from the world, and you do not belong to it. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Slaves are not greater than their master. If people persecuted me, they will persecute you too. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours too. But they will do all this to you because you are mine. For they do not know the one who sent me. They would not have been guilty of sin if I had not come and spoken to them. As it is, they no longer have any excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. They would not have been guilty of sin if I had not done among them the things that no one else ever did. As it is, they have seen what I did and they hate both me and my father. This, however, was bound to happen, so that what is written in their law may come true. They hated me for no reason at all. The Helper will come, the Spirit who reveals the truth about God and who comes from the Father. 
I will send him to you from the Father, and he will speak about me. And you too will speak about me, because you have been with me from the very beginning. John chapter 16 I have told you this, so that you will not fall away from your belief in me. You will be expelled from synagogues, and the time will come when those who kill you will think that by doing this they are serving God. People will do these things to you because they have not known either the Father or me. But I have told you this, so that when the time comes for them to do these things, you will remember what I told you. I did not tell you these things at the beginning, for I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me where I am going. And now that I have told you, your hearts are full of sadness. But I am telling you the truth. It is better for you that I go away, because if I do not go, the Helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the people of the world that they are wrong about sin and about the way people are made right in God's sight and about God's judgment. First, about sin. He will make them aware that they sin if they do not believe in me and about the way people are made right in God's sight, the Helper will make them aware that I have opened the way for people to become right in God's sight, because I am going to the Father, and you will not see me any more. And about the final judgment, he will make them aware that the final judgment will happen, because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I have much more to tell you, but now it would be too much for you to bear. When, however, the Spirit comes, who reveals the truth about God, he will lead you into the full truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak of what he hears and will tell you of things to come. He will give me glory because he will take what I say and tell it to you. All that my Father has is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will take what I give him and tell it to you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. He does not seek to glorify himself. Instead, he always glorifies you, Lord Jesus. He will lead us into the full truth. Lord, thank you for the three helping ministries of the Holy Spirit given by you here. May the Holy Spirit convict us of our unbelief and of our sin springing from our unbelief. And may the Holy Spirit add his convicting power any time you lead us to lovingly counsel people about their sin. 
Secondly, may the Holy Spirit use the fact of your resurrection to the right hand of God to convince people everywhere that you have opened the only way to become right in God's sight. May people also understand that Satan and his forces cannot win in the final judgment because you have already defeated him. And finally, may the Holy Spirit strengthen us so that we will stand firm in every trial and in persecution, not falling from our belief in you.